I've been recording. I have to pin myself and then zoom. Okay, you ready? Okay, so the thing is this, right? Okay, so functional programming, it's the best thing ever. Am I right? All the JS devs? Uh, To all the JS devs out there, can I just say functional programming, that's where we want to be. Don't worry about object-oriented. We hate that. That's sinful. Forget all the sins of our past. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this is what happened. I was talking to some JS devs and they're like, "Yeah, I want my f- code to be really functional. I love functional code. Yeah. I go, okay, that's good. And then... That sounds like fun, something new. And, and then... After working with me for so long <laughs> in object-oriented hell. <laughs> and then a few days later, I spoke to another bunch of JS devs and they're like, yeah, we, like, uh, we don't like functional libraries. And I'm like, where, yeah. where is the disconnect here? They want functional, but they don't want functional libraries. So what do they want? They just want to Did write functions. Did you ask them to define what that, that term means to them? No, because this is, this is what happened to me. So then I had, then I had like self-reflection and, I'm, and I thought to myself, which of the tech influencers has taught all the JS devs to think like this? Because we, we know that whoever talks the most, that's whose ideas stick, right? Oh no, I forgot his name. Uh, there is there is a guy, and he he uh, I listened to him a lot initially as well. Is that Ken Eric Beck? something, right? Oh, Eric, no, no, Eric something. Eric we did Thompson. a podcast about him. Eric Elliot. Yes, Eric er- Elliot probably. Mm, that's the guy. Let me check. Yes, long hair man. Yeah, yeah. So he wrote several like functional uh, programming books yep. and like semi-functional programming books that I think have influenced a lot of people's styles. And. Maybe React as well, right? People want functions. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the thing that I think we, we, we've been talking about is uh, what's the difference between uh, functional programming and uh, I just like functions? Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can very easily just write an entirely imperative code base uh, with just a lot of functions, right? Yes. And not actually apply any functional principles. Like you can still have side effects, you can still like access globals, um, like your functions don't have to be pure. You can still mutate data. Yeah, is that is that something that you saw? Like a lot of data mutation. And that I haven't sort of seen thing? anything. You haven't seen anything. Okay, no, yeah. I'm just I'm just talking concept, conceptually here. Conceptually, yeah. Inse- incestually, because yeah, yeah. conceptually, because I hear. You know, people talk about the way they want to do things, but then when you actually see it done, it doesn't live up to all the, the dreams of what people wanted. The hype. The hype. Yeah, it never does. No. I, I'll say, uh, I know what you're talking about is not really functional, but, um, uh, you know, most of the programs that I've seen be totally rewritten and teams just be like, we're not fucking dealing with this, are <laughs> functional programs. <laughs> like anything written in Scala. If the person who wrote it isn't there or the team isn't there, yep. gone, like deleted. Anything <laughs> written in Haskell, gone, deleted. 
I'm sure I, you remember when I, uh, when, when we first met, I was really into Ramda yeah, and that's uh, right. like functional, uh, JavaScript programming. Yes. Oh, what I, I would con- consider actual fun- functional programming. Yes. I'm 99% sure. Yeah. Uh, it's probably impenetrable to most, <laughs> <laughs> most junior developers. So I'm pretty sure those applications have been rewritten. The ones that have like really lasted and I know for a fact still exist and people are like actually experience joy working on are ones that I wrote with more of a object oriented domain driven design sort of, uh, stack. Mm. Yeah. Why is it hard for someone to pick up a functional code base? after someone else has used it well after someone else has, has sorry just to clarify thing. what what does that word mean right what's functional well like you said like you got a scala code base and you said it all went straight in the bin yeah so well, why is it hard why is it hard for around. the second person to come along but because the, the because the people who do it initially they love it right yeah and they're incredibly productive usually mm. and mm. they spin it up very quickly and uh, sometimes there might even be a lot of tests. I think um, a lot of people who are very much into functional programming don't really write a lot of tests. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, even though they like they theoretically write pure functions, they're still not you know actually going and writing tests for each one because I feel like the TDD movement is also somehow linked to more you know enterprise principles that people that I know that do functional don't really like. So yeah. Yeah. I didn't know they don't write tests. I mean, this is a generalization. I'm sure a lot of them do. I mean, the all of the code bases that I worked on had tests, but they weren't tests for like individual functions. They were doing the exact same thing that it, the way that I write most of my tests, which is to start the API, hit it with an a with a request and then see what comes out the other end. Mm. Except we're just doing it with, you know, futures and optionals instead of just uh, like response codes. Yeah. So. Yeah, so why is it hard for the second person to pick up the, the code base then? If these initial people can do it so well, why is it then it, it becomes like a blocker for people? It's like it's, it it's gets scary for them. How come? Uh, well, there's a lot of like uh, functional programming. You have to work sort of top down. So you have to come up with like high level abstractions for you, what you want your functions to do and then work downwards and sort of think of it more, I, I suppose maybe more of like a, a problem to be solved. Mm. Um, but that can lead to uh, like, it's very hard to change some of those sometimes. I mean, if you have a, an actual functional language, if you have Scala or Haskell or something like that, then you actually do get the Piler is actually smart enough to tell you, okay, these are the part, these, these things will be broken. If you do it in vanilla JavaScript, obviously, and you do functional and you're returning a future of an optional P of a, of a user. <laughs> and how do you determine whether you have an optional of a future or a future of an optional, you know, without a time system. Yep. And so those, those old code bases that I worked in that were functional, it was almost impossible to figure out what was happening without like slapping console logs everywhere. And then even if you do get like a console log, like what the actual structure from those functional libraries comes out as will not look like anything that you'll be able to decipher. Mm. Uh, they're very, they're very strange. And like if promises haven't resolved, obviously that's just an unresolved promise. So you see an optional with an unresolved promise and you don't know what's inside of the unresolved promise. So it just becomes, yeah, it becomes a lot. Mm. Actually, what were you saying? And there's a lot of yeah. stuff you have to learn with functional. So like uh, if you're actually doing functional and you're not just doing what, what we were talking about before, which is we like functions. We like functions. Um, that's right. <laughs> and you have to deal with um, 
lazy, lazy collections and lazy behavior. That's, that's pretty high on the list for most functional languages, which is, you know, if you have an array in Ruby, JavaScript, et cetera, when you do dot map, dot map, dot filter, dot map, dot map, you're actually creating like five intermediate arrays, right? Yep. Whereas in functional languages, you're actually never creating the intermediary. You're lazily evaluating those functions. Ah. But that makes it confusing for people who see, okay, I'm following line one. I have a user. Line two, I'm updating the name. Line three. But they don't realize that actually, unless this is actually evaluated somewhere, nothing's actually happening. Like that, that result type actually has to be essentially unwrapped for anything to happen in the program. So it's definitely, it almost like flips the way a program works to be the opposite of the way that you would have learned in either object-oriented or imperative languages. Mm. So, and uh, what else is hard? I suppose purity is hard because you essentially have to, you always have to be injecting dependencies mm. and not in the way that, um, not in like a IOC way, but you essentially, you can never have something that mutates anything directly in scope. You have to be requesting it and only like the very like edge of the application can actually give it to you. So you'll have like a nest of like 20 functions that have reader monads that, that are reader monads that return pro futures of optionals, right? Mm. And then you have to know that, okay, well, I have to provide the reader monad with this user service or function to fetch a user. And I have to provide it with the database connection, but then I have to await the future and then I have to unwrap the monad. When at the end of the day, all I wanted was to get the user with that ID. Yeah into an HTTP response. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, you, in the code base that you and I work on, we've got a bit of both, right? Like I feel like you've taken some of those functional concepts and put them in to yeah. our code base, but it's mainly object oriented, right? Uh, yeah. A lot of it is very uh, object oriented, um, but I still, there's some things that I like, like I do like some pipelines, like, uh, for example, or like we do have essentially a maybe monad and a, a result type. Yeah, that's but right. But I'm not like I'm not using I'm not using those types because I think uh, like my uh, I'm so much smarter than everyone else. I'm using them because they provide a very like fluent interface. And every time you hit dot at the end of the line, you get dot map dot get dot fail something right. Like you yeah. you know what the next thing is. Whereas in most of the functional functional libraries, you essentially have to like figure out, okay, well, I have to import fmap and I have to import some and I have to import none. And then I have to figure out how to like get these things together. Mm. So they're, they're like object oriented um, monads. Even Java has uh, like the optional type, which is essentially the maybe monad, but you know, with, with uh, methods instead of, uh, you know, functions that are applied to it. Well, that was one of the biggest hurdles I had to overcome when I started learning how you do things was the, the either and the, and the maybe. But then once I got the mental model of how it works, now I, I really like it. I prefer it a, a lot more. Yeah. It definitely makes it much safer inside of the... So we, for all of the API requests or anything that's asynchronous, we use result types, which means uh, we do control where the exceptions go. And when you're working with, you know, React or something, throwing inside of a use effect who, like hard to know exactly what's going to happen <laughs> when you throw an exception at any point and you just break the call stack, right? So typically I just found it, it's much safer to, to always use a, a result. And mm. you, otherwise you end up wrapping everything with a try catch. And it's the same thing with a, like an optional type. Um, if you're not using an optional, if I have three functions, I essentially have to 
the null checking inside of all of those functions or null checking outside. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I have an optional, I just write my type like from user to name, right? Yeah. And then I apply that to an optional of user and then I get an optional of name, right? Yeah. So it, get, it means that I get to write my code in a very like succinct, like, you know, yeah. flow, right? I, le- I really like that because one thing I was able to do immediately was, you know how um, sometimes you see people write branching logic inside try catch like try all this stuff and catch and then if something goes wrong then there's business logic inside the catch block and then like another try catch inside that so then the try catch isn't i feel like it's not serving its purpose like i feel like the catch is to catch an error but it inherently ends up being a chain of business logic as well when you don't have these ways to deal with it well, I think it's important to treat those things as first-class citizens. If you have an endpoint like login that potentially could return an error of uh, invalid password, it's probably a good idea to actually express that in the type system. Um, so that that all that stuff just comes from having worked in functional languages and knowing what I thought helped and I thought made the code clear versus you know, some of the stuff is really, it's not helping. Like, uh, I don't know if you get into fun- most of the functional examples, when people are like hyping it up to you, the only data types they're using are like, here's a string. Like, this is how we capitalize the string if it's not there. Right. <laughs> Very fascinating use case. But like, imagine having like, you know, a big, uh, a set of users and you need to, you know, update all of their profiles and send SMSs and all this stuff. Like you end up having like these lazy evaluated, incredibly difficult to understand when things are actually happening. Cause your functional is also part of it is being even more declarative. So allowing sort of the libraries or the, the, the language itself to control like iterations, but you do like, sometimes you just need to control the iterations. And sometimes I just need to fucking update an object. Right. <laughs> and that's, that, that's one of the things functional programming makes, um, the, the very easy stuff uh, hard and the very hard stuff easy, I think, okay. is, is how I would usually see it. Okay. All right, so. Can I give an example? Like yeah. traversing a graph, right, is like that's the, that's one of the hard things to do inside of a for loop. Like it's, it's somewhat hard to like traverse a, a, a node or a tree, like tree of nodes. Yeah. Um, like do depth first search in an imperative language, not hard, but like it takes a bit of thinking and there's like multiple loops and like breaks or whatever. Whereas inside of a functional language, you just essentially do recursion and you just loop through the tree, right? Infinitely. And so it it reduces stuff that might be 50 lines of, you know, very imperatively, like what's my next leaf node to just call this function with the next function. Gotcha. The cool thing about JavaScript and TypeScript, I suppose, is that you can use both of those. Like you can be somewhat functional and you can be somewhat um, object-oriented. Okay, but well. this is the thing, right? So mm-hmm. there's a group of people who say they want functional inside their JavaScript. Yeah, fuck those guys. And then, but they don't necessarily <laughs> write it like the, yeah. like the hardcore functional people. And then yeah. by the same token, people will say that they don't like object-oriented inside TypeScript. So yeah. they've got these two paradigms and they don't really like either of them. So what, like, yeah. where's everything falling? It's just, 
I think most people just don't know what either of those words mean or haven't actually tried them because a lot of people, a lot of JavaScript developers are JavaScript developers. Yep. So, you know, we don't we don't really have object-oriented and we don't really have functional. It I is know. an imperative language. It's like language. some weird kind of yeah. um, purgatory in the middle, not functional, yeah. not, it's fun object-oriented. Yeah. I think you can still treat it as object-oriented in a lot of ways, and I do as much as possible um, where, where it's applicable. Um, uh, you know, there's definitely like uh, people cite like, oh, well, it's not actually inheritance if you use classes or whatever. Or it's not a real yep. class. It's just using the prototype. Yep. But really programming, like the first interface is to other people, and then the second interface is to the computer. So yep. I really don't care that that it's built using prototypal inheritance. Yep. I just know that someone will see there's a class called user yep. and they will see there are three methods on it. Yes. <laughs> and that's how you mutate this object and you can go to references for any of those, right? Yep. Whereas the alternative to have a lot of single purpose functions and you get to like exhaustion. Mm. The code bases I worked on where they're focusing more on like the helper function style of functional programming where yep. it's just a lot of functions. It's so hard to name things and keep track of what it is. Yeah. And even just to know like, oh, someone's already written this, right? Like, Or even if, to if, know that like, where's the where, where's this method or function supposed to be encapsulated? Which which part of the of the art is, yeah. of the domain is it actually supposed to, to work on? Yeah, yeah. And also the, yeah, the, the, I like functions. People also tend to, for some reason, like leak everything everywhere. So like you'll see the, you know, express request handler, like passed into six functions. Deep. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not ideal. No. Why are they doing that? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> we need to get to the bottom of it. Okay. So why, why the, why the pushback then on object oriented TypeScript? Because, I reckon for backends, it's really good. So why do people avoid yeah. it? Uh, I don't know. Well, it's a bit like Ruby, how a lot of people came from Java, I suppose, maybe. Um, and they saw objects. Uh, like, uh, Well, they saw like types and they immediately dis disliked TypeScript. They just wanted to avoid stuff that they think like has the smell of something that they dislike. Ah. I, think, I think it's just a smell. Like I don't think they've actually tried to build something. Um, well, remember using, how many senior engineers used to say TypeScript was unnecessary? Like, I don't know any. I knew, of, I knew a lot of them. I knew heaps, and they were like pushing back really hard. You don't need it. It ruins the, the purpose of JavaScript. It's supposed to be dynamic. It's going to slow you down, all this stuff. Yeah. And now, I mean, but now there's been a, like a universal pushback against that because it's pretty clear that the, the like those companies that hired those people, <laughs> a lot of those, like I, I rarely ever push a, a bug that is not like business logic. Like I didn't consider a case. Mm. Or, oh, sorry. Like a, I, I push bugs that are like business logic where I've forgotten a case. Yep. I don't push bugs where like uh, this was actually undefined, yeah. right? Yeah. Which <laughs> if you've ever worked in JavaScript or Ruby, that's like 90% of your bugs. Like it's like cannot read property, you know, yeah. user ID of, of null. Yes. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So it's just the, it's just people are, well, I suppose the thing is this, if you agree that it's a good idea, then you have to learn something new and then that's hard. You, you don't have to waste your weekend learning this new thing. So it's better if you just say it's bad and then you can still keep your weekend. Yeah. I think uh, it'd be good if, um, I th it would be good. Uh, I think it would probably 
be wise to um, try other languages. Like I've definitely tried a lot of languages and that's certainly informed the way that I write code in almost every language. Yep. Um, you had that book. Like it was like seven languages in seven weeks or something. What was it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there were a couple of those. Yep. Pragmatic Program, PragPub, I think, Pragmatic Publisher. They, yep. they have a couple of those books. Mm-hmm. And then also like, um, you know, there's all sorts of like build your own whatever, like build Redis and C over a weekend or something. Ah, books. And like, you know, just trying those and you'll see, oh, actually th- these are pretty nice ways of solving these specific problems. Mm. Um, I do think it's really weird that um, like JS devs in particular, like are so vehemently against like state uh, when mm. like it's essentially a state framework. Yeah. I don't know, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Like why, why are you so for gigantic reducers that are like, you know, based on strings being dispatched mm. versus like, just a, an object that has some mutable state on it. Yeah. Doesn't, uh, doesn't make sense to me. No. It's the same thing at the end of the day. And uh, there might be a better way to express it that actually communicates what you're trying to do. Right. Yeah. The reducer pattern is very similar to a, a class with methods. Don't you think? Yeah. You, it's, well, it's like a, it's like a, uh, it, it, it could be essentially implemented with a, with a instance of an object for sure. Mm. Yeah. But I want to, so I've, I've had this idea that like whoever talks the loudest, that's the idea, or whoever talks the most, that's the idea that yeah. sticks. Uh-huh. So yeah. we need to start talking a lot about object-oriented TypeScript and see if we can get it to stick. Uh-huh. We need to start, I don't know, I don't we need know to start if I want ha- people to stick with it. This is my <laughs> advantage. Just as a social experiment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Because you know everything yeah. goes around in circles, right? So like, but the thing is, I'm not like really pushing for people to use object oriented because most of my code isn't super object oriented. Like, it's not like I do. There's some mutation of like objects where it's applicable, but um, I don't mutate every object. In a lot of places, I'll just issue a query to update, like update data directly. If it's more practical, I'll have a function that returns an entirely new object. If it's if it makes sense, I'll use object oriented, and if it makes sense, I'll use something more along the lines of a functional approach. So, I think just knowing which one to use where um, is really just the an- the answer. Just pushing people towards object oriented, I don't think is any better, right? Because then you just it's it's just dogma, right? That's right. That's what we want. <laughs> choose just a, try new things. Choose a team. That's, that's the answer. No, no, everyone must choose their tribe. Yeah, and battle yeah. against the other tribes. Yeah, well, I, I do remember, I don't remember the exact um, study, but there was a study done on um, functional programming that found that uh, the, the amount of defects, so they thought that the, the hypothesis of the, um, or the thesis of the, the study was that if you did functional programming, you would have less software defects, defects and higher quality. In reality, they found that like you have about the same amount of defects. the The difference is really like, are people excited to work on it? <laughs> so yep. it's really just like developer happiness again. So I don't know. Yeah, that's the biggest factor, really, isn't it? Yeah, because you can push you can push paradigms as much as you want, but if the team's not with it, then you you're going to be struggling, battling ideas instead of just writing code. Yeah. 
you should really write code for the maintenance programmer. Like, who do you think is going to be maintaining the thing? If you're going to be at the company for 10 years, maybe, okay, you can, you can do Scala. <laughs> but uh, if you're there as a contractor for six months, you know, maybe, maybe don't just introduce a whole bunch of functional stuff into a team that primarily operates in vanilla JavaScript. That's right. right. Stick to you may think that you're going to save their lives and change the world. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, really, I will say that most, the most really. annoying uh, people are the functional, <laughs> functional are programming purists. <laughs> like, oh my God, I, like such stupid things being said on, on, on that behalf. Because you were, you were a f- pretty big proponent for Eric Elliott, but maybe not anymore. Uh, yeah, I, I found it interesting. And I, well, in those days, like I think there was not, there definitely weren't, um, he had a more moderate view, I think, at the time. Like he was essentially showing you how to do stuff that you would do with classes. So he was talking about like um, closures for encapsulating state, right? Which is essentially the same thing that a class does. It's just that we have classes now. And yep. with TypeScript, you can also just mark fields as private. So yep. why do I need to return a function that I have closured state on when I can just make it more declarative by defining a property? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so it, it sort of made sense to me at the time. But then also, I think I had to learn a lot to get up and running with that. And then I look at the burden of putting that on other people mm. and it just doesn't seem, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem quite correct. No, that's right. So, I, I really just like the, the, the only thing that I want in my code is that wherever the, like the core of the logic is, I want it to be like as decoupled from like HTTP. And I just want it to be as clear as possible in the 20 lines that are like uh, invite user to tenant that uh, that what's happening is that you're inviting a user, right? That's it. I want to see like user dot dot uh, send invite or something. It's some something like that, right? Invite repo dot sender. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah, that's my clear. favorite too. Just name. Just tell me what it does. Yeah. Well, guess what? What's that? I haven't upgraded to the to the premium version of Zoom, and our meeting's about to end. Oh, that's so sad because I have a paid subscription. And you could use that one. <laughs> I don't know why you use this, but yeah, that's good. I, I also, I was too excited about talking about functional programming, so I forgot to talk about um, this other interesting thing from the beginning of the podcast. But anyway. Well, we've got nine minutes. We've got nine minutes to go. All right. Well, quickly, before we move on. That's too much. It's too big of a topic. What was the other thing I was talking about? I can't remember. Anyway. Oh, well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what a great episode. You've got you to gotta encapsulate the ideas into a single podcast. We can't be leaking ideas into a, two ideas yeah, into one podcast. Leaky abstraction. We can't have leaky abstractions in our code and our podcasts. That's just sin. But anyway, hop on the Discord. Ask a few questions. Discord's been going off lately. People have been asking all kinds of stuff on the Zapatos podcast. (laughs) This is the new, (laughs) we're rebranding to the Zapatos. We're pivoting the Zapatos podcast. Yeah. Maybe we can contact uh, George. Contact George. Who runs it. We should, we should get him on. We'll tell him where the two most not, not influential dev influencers. Yeah. Is, is not fully support his product. Is, is not, not (laughs) most influential. Yeah. (laughs) But He's probably the only person I would sponsor on GitHub. I've been thinking about it, but uh, anyway. Check out Zapatos. See you next time.